Father, we thank you for the deep, deep love of Jesus. Let the love of Jesus pour over us that we might hear your word clearly and that we might respond openly through Christ. Amen. Please be seated. What is God's desire for the world that he created? What's God's purpose for this world? If, as we prayed, God's kingdom on earth was his kingdom in heaven come down, what would that look like? What would we see? What would be different I think when we read the scriptures, we find that righteousness and justice, salvation, all that's wrapped up in that are God's design for his creation. God creates people to know his joy, his freedom, his blessing, his grace. This is the word of God from the time he brings his people out of Egypt and into the promised land. It's the word of the prophets as they rail at the people and the institutions that promote injustice and unrighteousness. It's the, it's the word of Jesus. In those very first, very, one of the first uh, times he preaches in the synagogue and he says, he opens up the book of Isaiah and he reads and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Throughout Isaiah's prophecy, he has been warning the people of Israel about going into exile if they don't change their ways, if, if they continue in their sins. And it's a dark time and it's a dark word. But as we come to chapter 52, the tone has changed. And though they may have thought God has forgotten them and they may have thought that God is neglecting them and doesn't care about them, chapter 52 says something different. He calls them to wake up, open their eyes, This is something you are not going to want to miss. He says, beginning in verse 1, Awake, awake, Zion. Clothe yourselves with strength. Put on your garments of splendor. Free yourselves from the chains on your neck. This is what the Lord says. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Who proclaim peace. Who bring good tidings. Who proclaim salvation. Who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen. Your watchmen lift up their voices. They shout for joy. So burst into songs of joy together. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Wow. God is saying to them, get ready. Because I know it feels like you've been abandoned, but you haven't. Get ready, prepare yourselves. Because the gate is about to be blown wide open. 
Verse 12 tells us that they aren't going to to sneak out of captivity. They aren't going to run out of captivity. No, they are going to walk leisurely. Because God goes before them and God is behind them. There's no sense of anxiety or panic. There's no locker room speech. Come on, you guys can do this. It's just, I'm with you. Your God reigns, celebrate, rejoice, give thanks. For the God who controls all things is going to show his hand and flex his muscles. And he's going to rescue and redeem and restore his people. And it's going to be amazing. And how is God going to do this? He says, I'm going to send my servant to rescue my people. I suspect that like us, the Israelites are thinking about God's servant who will come in a, in the, probably in the um, uniform of a general. Leading this massive army with troops and horses and weapons and warriors into the city to destroy and to crush their enemies. You know, that's how we, that's how we do things now, isn't it? If we want to rescue someone, if we're going to go in and attack our enemies, you know, we're talking about a Tomahawk missiles and Apache and Blackhawk helicopters and military buildup and tanks and, and masses of, of ammunition. That's the way it works. That's the way it's always worked. The king with the strongest army wins. The nation with the most firepower is the one that's successful. The general with the best strategy walks away victorious. And that's what they're looking for. That's what we'd be looking for. And God says, not exactly what I had in mind. Verse 13 says that his servant will act wisely. He will prosper. Many of the translations have this, he will be successful in accomplishing the purpose for which he is sent. But not with military power, not with exceptional weaponry, but in humility and gentleness, suffering and sacrifice. He will redeem and rescue his people and reveal to the world the nature nature and the character of God. No wonder verse 15 says that the, the nations, in the NIV it says he will, they will, he will sprinkle the nations, but most of the translations say he will startle the nations. No wonder they're startled. I mean, you, you can almost hear them laughing. Wait a minute. This is your secret weapon? This is your strategy? This is how you expect to win? Boy, I can't wait to see this. This is going to be fun. And we get that, don't we? Eugene Peterson says that left to ourselves, most of what we imagine God to be and do is wrong. And nearly all of what our culture tells us that God is and does is wrong. Because a strategy of God that's focused on humility and sacrifice and surrender feels completely irrelevant to the way our world operates. And so he says things like love and worship and surrender and humility are are well and good if you just want to take care of your soul. But if you want to make a difference in the world, 
Well, you forget about those things. And you use strategies that work. You use things that are effective. You talk about something that has a proven track record. And those things are not it. It's the way our world operates. You know, it's the attractive, the clever, the gifted, the talented who are successful. Advertisers use attractive people. People with just the right weight, people with just the right look, just the right figure, just the right physique. People who have all the athletic prowess. People who have a stage presence, who have screen notoriety. That's how you draw people in. That's how you win. So how can someone who looks so bad, loses everything, is treated so abusively, who gives up his life, how can he be considered successful? And yet, here is Jesus hanging out with outcasts, wasting his time with people who don't matter. Here is Jesus offering himself to be rejected and broken. Here is Jesus hanging from a cross. And God says, this is victory. This is success. This is the fulfillment of my purposes for my servant. If you've been here the last few weeks, you might be thinking, all right, I'm getting a little bit tired of the repetition of talking about God's counterintuitive, countercultural way of doing things. I mean, after all, it's the same description of the servant as we find in Isaiah 42, 49, 50. We'll see it again in 53. So why keep repeating it? Why do we repeat anything? Because we're so bad at believing it and embracing it and accepting it. Because here's the rub. Chapter 53 begins by asking, who has believed our message? Who has believed that this rejected, disfigured, unappealing, humble, surrendered man is going to save us? Is going to redeem us? Is going to be God's means for bringing salvation, justice, and righteousness on this earth? Who is really buying into that? And the prophet's subtle answer is those people who are believing that are the people who understand that this is God's strategy, not just for his son, but for everyone who says they are connected to his son. The strategy of Jesus takes us back to Philippians chapter 2. Paul, describing Jesus, says that Jesus, who was in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Being found in human likeness as a man, and he humbled himself. And taking the very nature of a servant, he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And we read that, and we are so grateful for what Jesus has done for us. But sometimes we ignore the preface to that little poem, that hymn. When Paul says, your attitude or your mind, your life perspective should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Who being in very nature God. Surrendered himself. 
And the way that Jesus thinks and plans and accomplishes the purposes of God is the strategy that God calls us to live as well. And it's not typically our plan. That's not exactly our default way of thinking. When we face opposition in this world, we tend to do one of two things. Either we run and hide or we fight. Eugene Peterson says that we either sink into a quicksand of paranoia, live in panic, never quite sure where the evil is coming from, how it's going to show itself. We do everything we can to keep distance between us and evil. We get as far away from it as we possibly can and then we feel safe. Or we join forces with demagogues and moralists and defenders of purity and we vilify and we mount crusades and we define ourselves by what we are against and we live lives of negative spirituality. As someone said to me recently, we act as though God is the smallest kid in the sandbox and we have to protect him. And it's this fear that that so engages us that we either run for cover or we stand up and fight. But there is another way to live neither on the defensive nor on the offensive, but to take our stand in the spirit of Christ, in the spirit of the cross of Christ and believing and acting that we are in Christ, not in panic and not in a crusade, but in surrender to the way of Jesus. Part of our struggle is that We're called to be sheep in a world where everybody wants to be a wolf. And you know, we'd probably rather be a wolf than a sheep. Sheep don't get a lot of recognition. Sheep get sheared. Sheep get eaten by wolves. And wolves are tough. Wolves are survivors. Wolves are respected. Wolves rule, right? We know we're not redeemed by the wolf of God. We're redeemed by the lamb of God. And we're not called to dominate other people, but to love them. To give ourselves to them. I think it's especially hard for us to grasp this concept Because of if we've been raised in this nation. We are a nation that loves to dominate. Even when our intentions are at their very best. We love to throw our weight around. And we do it because we can. And it's hard for us to see life any other way. Because domination is sort of bred into our American DNA. But as Christians we're called to something radically different. And it's never easy to to change something and to challenge something that has been so ingrained into our psyche from the very beginning. It's always most challenging and it takes the most amount of courage and it pushes us to the hardest places to have the power and the rights and all the control and yet give it up. Surrender. Surrender. In obedience to God. For the good of others. Because we believe that God's strategy is right. 
and best. So what does it look like for us to believe that this is God's strategy for bringing his presence to this world and to embrace that strategy as our own? What does it look like for us to to buy into God's plan for, for transforming the world? What does it look like to put all of our weight behind God's strategy and plan? It might mean that people see us as undesirable. It might mean that we hang out with people who aren't in the cool group. It might mean that we refuse to judge life's values the way most of the world does. Refusing to place value on material possessions and on the things of this world. It means caring about causes that might not necessarily directly affect us. Living with the mindset that people are more important than success. That we are a voice for the voiceless, even though we know that it's not going to give us any advantage in this world whatsoever. And when we stand up for a cause or an issue, it's not the issue that drives us, it's people. It's people that we love and care for. And whenever we do stand up for those people, we do it with a spirit of humility And surrender and patience and love instead of a spirit of vengeance and antagonism. It means that we believe generosity is better than hoarding, that family is more important than success, that relationships are more eternal, more significant, more vital to spiritual maturity than winning or convincing people that we are right. It means that we believe love has more power in this world than rhetoric or well-reasoned arguments. It means that we understand that in the kingdom of God, we're not defined by what we accomplish. We're defined by how well we surrender. And we never forget that people are not projects to change, but humans to love, even if they never change. We just keep loving them. And we take the burdens of other people onto ourselves because we love Jesus and we love people. And we're willing to sacrifice for them. You know, it's often in the small things that this is going to be proven to us. In the everyday things of life that our belief in God's strategy might be most tested. Listening to people instead of ignoring them. Being patient instead of lashing out. Being kind instead of judgmental. Giving in when we really want our own way. There's little that carries a sense of status, a little more than, than the, being able to fly in a private jet. You know, if you can travel in a private jet, it just screams success. And, and particularly in this post-9-11 world where going through an airport, airport security and all stuff you deal with is so laborious, to be able to fly in your own jet... You know, to be able to have enough cash, you can put a couple hundred thousand dollars on a credit card, having it ready any moment you might need that jet to take off. That's success. 
You've arrived. There's an article I read about recently where they were interviewing a guy who is just in that circumstance. And he had made the decision that he was never going to fly commercial again. He had made, I don't know, a gazillion dollars doing something. I'm not sure what it was, but he had lots of money. And so he decided he was never flying commercial. And what really tipped the scale for him was he was flying cross-country one time, first class. And a woman had the audacity to bring her baby with her in her seat in business class. And the child cried virtually the whole trip. And he reasoned that moment, that's it. I'm never doing this again. And the explanation he gave for that decision was this. I have realized that the important thing to me is excluding from my life anyone who might bum me out. That man's going to live alone. That's all I can tell you. That's what ordered his life. And it was revealed in the way he lived and the actions, decisions he made. And we look at that and we think, wow, that's so elitist and brash and harsh and wow, crazy. And then we stop and realize how often we choose to live our lives in ways to avoid people who might bum us out. Because honestly, we're looking for ease and comfort, not work, not surrender, not sacrifice. But God says, my servant will be successful. My servant's going to be exalted and lifted up because he goes to the cross. And people say, seriously, really? That's what you're sending us? This is the plan? Are you kidding me? That's never going to work. Jesus is going to get steamrolled. And they're right, he does. He gets steamrolled. He's beaten and abused and rejected and tortured and ultimately murdered. But when the dust settles, the one hanging on the cross is the victor. God's plan, strategy, wins. I got to tell you, this is a hard word for me, and I've been thinking about that this week, and it's not natural to me. I mean, I don't, I don't want to, to choose surrender and sacrifice. I was reading through this, studying this, trying to find a loophole somewhere. You know, so, because, you know, we have those. You go, we want to say, well, yeah, but, or you just don't understand the situation, Lord. Or, you know, that's going to, my reputation. There are things going on here. You just don't understand. And what, we're, what I'm really saying is, Lord, there's a lot of things that you're good at. But when it comes to this kind of thing, I think I know better. Ridiculous. Crazy. But that's my natural human response. But I come to the, I've come to the conclusion that we are never going to know the power of God in our lives until we embrace God's strategy as our own. We are never going to, to know the kind of influence in this world that I think we would like and that certainly God wants for us until we embrace God's strategy as our own. We are never going to know the fullness of spiritual maturity that God created us to experience until we embrace God's strategy as our own. And I don't even, I have no idea exactly, precisely 
what embracing this strategy is going to mean for my life, I certainly don't know what it's going to mean for your life. But I know this. If God's strategy for redeeming the world is sending his son to a cross and all that he endures, what would make us think that his strategy for us would be any different? Do we trust God enough to believe that he knows more than we do? That his strategy is always right and best for accomplishing his purposes in us, in this kingdom, in this world. Do we believe? N.T. Wright once said, it's not great faith we need. It's faith in a great God. And we have a great God who is wise, wise, wise beyond any of us. And if he says that embracing this strategy is going to bring us closer to him and more like Jesus and to be the kind of influence in this world that he created us to have and to be the people he created us to be, then he's calling us simply to believe and to trust in the great God. Father, if there is something in our lives that we are wrestling to surrender, a place, a relationship, a circumstance, it might be in our homes, it might be at work, It might be just something within us that's keeping us from embracing your strategy and being the people that you created us to be. Put your finger on that in this moment. And as we listen to you in the silence, help us to open our hearts to let you work in us. Father, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for wanting so much more for us than we want for ourselves. Give us grace, courage to surrender, and fill us with your spirit. And we pray this through Christ. Amen.